He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten to the tree, eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. I just want to speak to you this morning on the subject have hope, Jesus will fix it. Have hope, Jesus will fix it. Let us go before the Lord in prayer this morning. Oh Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. Father, you are preeminent and you are the greatest of all beings. You rule in majesty, and there's no one like you, and no one compares to you. And yet, oh God, through abundant mercy and grace, you have seen fit to send forth your son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from our sins, reconciling us to yourself, filling us with your Holy Spirit that we may have fellowship with those whom you have called for those who have trusted in you for salvation. And upon this morning, dear God, we just want to pause and say thank you. Thank you, O oh God, for your kindness, your mercy, and your grace. Thank you, O oh God, for allowing us to come to another Lord's Day. Thank you, O oh Lord, how you brought us through another week. Lord, we may have come through kicking and screaming, but God, be, uh, uh, to you be the glory, for you have brought us to this day, the first day of the week, this Lord's Day where we can honor and worship you right now in and through the mighty name of Jesus. Father, I thank you for how you woke us up even this morning, how you have allowed us to get out of the bed, and, and we thank you for the technology that you have allowed that even though we cannot be the church gathered in this place, we will still be the church scattered in our living rooms and in our dining rooms and in our bedrooms. Thank you, O oh Father, for the opportunity to gather. But even now, O oh Lord, we need you. I need you. In the midst of difficulty, we ask that your grace would indeed be sufficient. We 
You know it will be because you're promised. But help us to trust and believe your promises today. Help us to have our full faith, confidence, hope, and trust in you and you alone and not what this world has to offer. Right now, oh God, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would destroy strongholds, yokes, and every single thing that binds us, that keeps us from running to you, that keeps us from believing your word. Father, please forgive us for our sins, the ways we have been disobedient to you and the ways we have sinned against one another. But right now, oh God, fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would understand clearly your word. Father, have mercy upon me as, a, as I'm your servant to speak your truths, these truths that we know will never return void will accomplish all that you have set forth. Now, Father, I pray that your word would accomplish salvation in the heart of someone today, that they would come from darkness and be uh, brought into your marvelous light. Father, I pray that you would take uh, my weak words and bring transformation. May someone's perspective and heart be changed and transformed, that they would trust in you and you alone. And Lord, may you take your word today and use it to be a source of encouragement for us. Father, have your way. We'll be careful to give you all of the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. You know what? I had the great privilege to grow up in a home where my father just knew how to fix anything. I mean, if the car broke down, he fixed it. If the toilet was stuffed up, he fixed it. If the refrigerator went out, if the stove went out, he fixed it. Anything you can name around the house, he was able to fix it. And I guess growing up, I, I, could, I took it for granted uh, because uh, anything that would break, I, I wasn't even worried about it. I would have full confidence that I know daddy could fix it. And as a matter of fact, I, even going into my marriage, I, I, I took my daddy's fixing skills, not me, but him. And there was many times over at uh, the house with Red and I, things would break. And I'd be like, Daddy, why, why don't you come over and, and fix this? And he, he would be able to fix everything. It got so bad at one point, we had a dryer that would constantly break. And, I would, and, and, and Red would come up to me and say, uh, the dryer broke again. I said, okay, let me just call my daddy. And he had come over and fix it. And sure enough, every time I called, he was able to come over and fix it. But it got to the point where Red was so frustrated, she had a conversation with my mother. And her and my mother schemed and came up with a plan that she would tell my daddy to stop going over to fix this dryer because that will force me to buy a new one. See, that confidence came from his track record at fixing things. And beloved, even as we come into today on this Lord's Day, we have a certain confidence in knowing because of God's track record, the great and glorious Father in heaven, we can have confidence that he can fix anything that is going on. I don't know what your situation may have been. It may have been a father, may have been an uncle, a grandmother, grandfather, uh, a sister, brother, but it's always good to have someone around who can fix it and to give you that confidence. But, beloved, we have King Jesus, King Jesus, who was able to fix every single circumstance, every single situation. And he has shown us time and time again, as we look back over our lives, 
He, has, he will reveal to us every time we needed him to come in and fix it. He may not fix it like we want it, but we know we can trust and depend on him to fix it. So, beloved, even as we look at this text of Scripture and we look back over our lives and, and we know that we can't have the confidence in King Jesus to fix it, I believe that it was this type of confidence that the Israelites had in the Lord when they looked back at this text of Scripture. As they would go about their lives and, and, and as a nation, Israel, they would go through uh, times of victory, but then they would go through times of defeat. They would go through times of uh, destruction. They would go through times of good. They would go through times of uh, freedom, but they would also go through times of bondage. They would go through times of prosperity. and They would also go through times of poverty. When we look at the biblical uh, record, it was actually during those particular times of darkness, that the people of God would cry out and God would step in. God says it himself, and he, and he tells the people in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, he's saying that he, he will bring transformation because he's able to step into their brokenness and fix it. In brokenness and against all odds, when the people of God cried out, Yahweh would step in. And my prayer is that we understand that this confidence only comes when your hope is a hope in heaven. It's a hope that's fixed on who God is and what he's able to do. Just think about it, your own life, your own situation. This is the type of confidence we need today. As we're going through uh, the a pandemic and economic turmoil, racial inequity, uh, inequality, and injustice. As we go through a, uh, a, a, I guess, finish to an election cycle that seems that it will not end. As we, as we are in the midst of all of these th different things in our lives, we would do well to have a confidence that's not fixed on our circumstance out there, that's not fixed on the horizontal, but that we would have a confidence that's fixed vertically on King Jesus in heaven. That's the type of confidence that we need to have. For a hope founded upon Jesus is a hope fixed in heaven. And our big idea this morning is simply center your hope in Jesus because Emmanuel is God's promise fixed for all humanity. Center your hope in Jesus because Emmanuel, God with us, is God's promise fix for all humanity. So even as I'm talking about Advent and I'm talking about this word hope, when I speak about hope, I'm primarily referring to that feeling that what is wanted can be and can be had or or that events will turn out for the best. But ultimately, the key is we hope that a person or thing in which expectations are centered. We hope in a person or thing where expectations are centered. Where's your hope this morning? Where's your confidence this morning? Are you more concerned about the next 
breaking news report over what thus saith the Lord? Are you more concerned about your own life than the life that was laid down for you in King Jesus? What better place to center our expectations than on this passage of Scripture, which uh, is referred to as the Protevangelium. The Protevangelium, the, the first gospel, the first announcement that God would do something to fix our broken situation. Just think about the text, uh, 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 where we are this morning in Genesis 3. In the text, all of biblical history actually uh, is, 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 takes place in the shadow of Genesis 3. Everything that we see in the biblical record, we see uh, the creation, the fall, redemption, and we look forward to restoration. But that creation and fall, the Bible is, 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 uh, is squarely concerned about what is man going to do in his condition. Who will rescue him? Who will rescue mankind? And as we look through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, as we go on and on and on, the concern and the question is, who will save us? And it is Jesus Christ we see through this announcement. In the fall, all of creation has fallen to a sinfulness because of Adam's and Eve's rebellion against God. It's almost like going into a, a fine china shop and then just walking around aimlessly and tearing up and then knocking over a piece of fine china, watching it fall, and then breaking into a thousand pieces. In a sense, that's what mankind did to creation. Though they had everything they needed in God's paradise, they chose to reject God and to disobey him. And the consequences was they, they were in this intimate fellowship with God, but now because sin entered into this world, they see that they are exposed. They see their nakedness, and they, they are ashamed of their nakedness, and they, they try to fix the situation by clothing themselves, by coming up with a solution themselves. Beloved, that sounds like us. As soon as we get into a situation that is broken, we begin to try to fix it ourselves. And they try to fix it themselves by putting on fig leaves. And when they hear that God is coming, they hide themselves. How often have you hid yourself from the Lord? Now that perfect relationship that they had vertically and horizontally is fractured because of sin. And these are the consequences. And not only uh, uh, do they have this consequence of this broken fellowship, but now death is waiting for them. Because of their disobedience and their rebellion. This is the situation that mankind finds themselves in. One moment all is well, the next moment all is lost. One moment there is security and intimacy, next there is mistrust and alienation. Man's rejection of God's righteous rule leads to a state of complete hopelessness. No matter what they tried to do, they could not fix it. And faithful Israelites would see this text here in Genesis 3.15 and they would see their present circumstances, but they would be able to stand on this promise 
that God had made to them. Their hope would be fixed on the fact that even in the midst of brokenness, God steps in and God is able to save. That's the point of the text today. We can hope in Jesus because Emmanuel steps in and Emmanuel saves. Look here at the beginning of this verse. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. After all that God has prepared, a perfect paradise, they didn't have to worry about uh, getting up and getting dressed every day because they were naked and not ashamed. They didn't have to worry about animals behaving right. They didn't have to worry about being eaten by a lion, being uh, bit by a cobra. They didn't have to worry about mosquitoes biting them. They didn't have to worry about not having enough food. Uh, food was on every tree, and all they had to do was pick. They didn't have to worry about somebody breaking into their house. They, they didn't have to worry about any of those things that, that we needed to worry today. But yet and still, they still tried to seek more. Why? Because when Adam and Eve rejected God's word, they were bringing into question his goodness towards them. As Satan comes up to the woman and and he begins off his his conversation with the woman, did God say? He he, he, He is bringing doubt to God's goodness before them. And then he goes on to say, you will not surely die. You will be like God. He, he's saying God is holding something back from you. And all of a the sudden, they're tempted to turn their hope from God, the one who has already provided everything, towards themselves that they would need to selfishly provide for themselves. And now they're in complete brokenness. But in spite of that, what does God do? Well, I tell you what God doesn't do. God, God doesn't act like us and say, didn't I tell you? I told you that it, uh, you, you would uh, 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 fall into temptation, and I told you. He doesn't go on by berating them. He doesn't act like us, but what God does in his, he, he mercifully and graciously steps into Adam and Eve's brokenness by simply saying, I will. You see that there at the beginning of verse 15? I will. Beloved, uh, even as I look at that right now, when I was studying, it brought chills to my spine because don't ever underestimate the power of those two words, I will. Just think about those two words in relation to your own life. When you uh, don't have a ride to work and you're out of gas and you have to be there at a certain time and you call someone and they say, I will take you. Or when you are in need of food or you're in need of money and and you make a phone call or you text someone and they say, I will take care of you. Or you're on your job and you've been working really hard and you're looking forward to that promotion and they say, I will promote you. Beloved, don't underestimate the power of the I will because think about all the times that God has showed up and he just said, I will. You know, it's interesting here. Because until now, God has been demonstrating his power to his people through the words, let there be. 
He says, let there be light. Let there be uh, the, the, the stars in the sky. Let there be man. And he, he goes on. And through his, through his words, let there be, his power is demonstrated in the fact that the animals come and the vegetations come and the fish and the birds and the clouds and everything comes into being through his power demonstrated and let there be. But right here, God is demonstrating his power by the statement, I will. And I found it interesting. Up to this point, it was only one other time that God has said, I will. And it's in Genesis 2 when he sees the situation of man. And what does he say? It is not good that man should be alone. And in man's loneliness, God steps in and says, I will create for him a helper that's able to come alongside of him. In the same way, in the midst of their brokenness, God steps into their situation and says, I will. God is, is now about to do something about their situation. I, I will put enmity between the woman and the serpent. What God is saying here in this statement, he, he's about to do something. Uh, he, he, he is about to uh, uh, end the life of the, the woman in relation to the serpent because of sin, he is, he is going to separate those who belong to him and those who belong to Satan, those who are children of God and those who are children of Satan. And he brings about that separation by saying that there will be a perpetual conflict between those who love me and those who don't. We immediately see the fruit of this declaration in Genesis 4. What do we see in Genesis 4? We see the conflict between Cain and Abel. Abel brings a sacrifice that God loves, and Cain brings a sacrifice that God hates. And uh, what does God tell Cain? Be careful because sin is crouching at your door. Cain goes on to kill Abel, and we see right there in that first murder the distinction between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Those who would be godly and those who would be ungodly, those who would be good and those who would be evil. But, beloved, what I, what I, what, what I don't want you to miss is the fact that in God's mercy, he is actually saying that there's going to be some who oppose me. There's going to be some who doesn't like me. There's going to be some who are disobedient, but I'm going to bring some unto myself. And beloved, if, if you made the profession of faith in Jesus Christ, glory be to God that, that he has saved you and made you part of his own. He steps into their brokenness. He steps into our brokenness to rescue some. But, but it doesn't end there because right here we have the great I am saying that I will. The great I am says I will. The very one who established the heavens, the very one who said let there be, the one who spoke and it came into being, the very one who was in control of all things, the, the, the one who is supreme, he is preeminent, there is no one greater. He's the alpha, the omega, he's the beginning and the end, he is the source of all life. He is the great I am and the great I am is the one who says I will. Beloved, that is the promise that we can take to the bank. Because the great I am says I will, 
We can trust him when he says, I will establish a covenant with you. We can trust him. Uh, uh, the fact that the great I am says, I, uh, I will remember you. The great I am says, I will bless and I will bring and I will give and I will make and I will stand and I will heal and I will pour and I will gather over and over again in the scriptures all throughout the Old Testament as they are, as they are looking forward to the, to the one who would save them, as they look forward to the seed of the woman, God over and over again says, I will. Just as God steps into the brokenness to deal with their source uh, uh, of their circumstances, Emmanuel steps in to ours too. Just think about it. Think about it when you're tired, when, you, when, when you're physically tired, you're, you're, you're spiritually tired, you're emotionally tired, and you're going through life, and you're trying to take care of business. Uh, uh, in all of that busyness, God just simply says, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, I will give you rest. I will. When you're feeling alone, when you're feeling that no one's accepting you, when you feel like you're all by yourself and no one understands you, when you feel like you're on an island and no one cares about you, Jesus simply says, I would never cast you out. When you feel spiritually dead, when your sin has you, uh, in a circumstance that you can't stand and you hate, and when you're walking around like, like dead men walking, Jesus says, I will raise you up. And when you feel that God has left you, even though you've made a profession of faith, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you understand the power of the I will? When our faith rests in the I will of the great I am, it gives us a confidence to know that I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds my tomorrow. When I have confidence in the I wills of God, every circumstance that I encounter changes because it's not me that's going to do this battle. It's the Lord who's going to go into battle before for me. And though I may not understand and the circumstances may be heavy and it may be painful, but I still know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The great I am says, I will. So we hope in Jesus because Emmanuel steps in. But then secondly in this text, we hope we have hope that Jesus will fix it because Emmanuel saves. Look at the second half of this. He says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What is God saying here? Y'all heard that expression, uh, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. So in a sense, God is saying, though you serpent in your uh, desire to steal, kill, and destroy, in, in your desire to uproot my worship, in your desire to distract and distort, in your desire to do wickedness, you may cripple the seed of the woman. 
You may be able to bite the heel of Jesus' foot. You may be able to do temporary harm, but Jesus is going to inflict a mortal wound on your head where you will die. And you will no longer have any rule or any reign in this world, and you will not be able to stop what I'm going to do. And what God is saying, he's saying to the serpent that, that he is promising to send a Savior to rescue all of humanity from the wicked oppression of the serpent. Beloved, understand, in this divine declaration, what, what, what God is doing, he is giving us a divine decree for you and for me. In this decree, what God is saying He is saying that I promise that my people will be victorious over Satan. He will not be able to hold them back in uh, whatever strongholds, whatever bondage, whatever yoke he tries to to wrap around them. I'm going to crush that, and they will, uh, Satan will uh, will no longer be able to oppress, marginalize my people. But not only that, he says, he is saying that because in Satan's temptation, he wants to bring about disobedience in his defeat of Satan, he is promising that all of humanity, those who, are, who make a profession of faith and trust in Jesus, we will have victory over sin. He is going to transform and tear out this heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh that, that, that willingly wants to obey him. He promises that we will have victory over Satan, victory over sin, but ultimately in Christ Jesus Through his resurrection, he says, we will have victory over death. Because Satan tempts them into disobedience and thereby bringing both physical and spiritual death, he's saying when the seed of the woman comes, Satan will not be able to hold death over our head because Jesus has conquered death through his death, burial, and resurrection. Beloved, this, this offspring, this, this promise is the hope of heaven. All throughout biblical history, they, they had been waiting on this Savior to come. But in Galatians, the fourth chapter, we see that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Watch this. This is technical. But I think when Paul states this, he says it for a reason, born of woman, not born of the servant, born of woman, born under the law to do what? To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus comes and he lays down his life. He's born of the woman. He defeats Satan's power. He destroys sin power over us. And no longer will death rule and reign over us because those in Christ will be resurrected when he comes with trumpet sound and we will meet him in the air. What a glorious day. And all of the patriarchs, We're looking forward to this hope that we have already received in Christ. All of the patriarchs were looking forward down down the the corridors of time, uh, waiting for the Messiah to come. As Noah uh, obediently builds the ark and gets into the ark before the flood, he is actually looking toward this seed of the woman. As Abraham is 
is, is, is told to go to a new land and that even in his old age, he would have a child who would be the seed uh, that all, 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 all the people of God will come from. He is not looking at the moment, but he is looking down at the seed of the woman. As Joseph is languishing in the jail, he is thinking how God told him he would raise him up. He's not looking at that moment particularly, but he is looking forward to the hope of Jesus. As Moses is rescuing his people and bringing them through the wilderness, as they are preparing to enter the promised land, Moses is looking forward to Jesus. We could go on and on. David and Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah, they are all looking forward with hopeful expectations for the Messiah who would come. Yet even now, beloved, events are working towards Jesus' second advent. And this is where he will ultimately remove every single consequence of this fall. In the second coming of Jesus Christ, all pain will be done with. All rejection, all domination, all toil, all death. Uh, at Jesus' return, the fulfillment of uh, all that was cursed will be reversed, and King Jesus will establish his throne. And we will dwell in that land of no more. Just as they look forward to the first advent, we look forward to Jesus' second advent, where he would come and get and rescue his people, because ultimately we know Jesus will fix it. But even as we look at this text for hope this morning, the simple text, ask yourself today, where are your expectations centered? Where are your expectations centered? Who? Are your eyes fixed on Jesus or are your eyes fixed on your circumstances? Are your eyes fixed on what God has already provided or are your eyes fixed on what he hasn't gave you yet? Are your eyes fixed on how he already laid down his life or are your, are your eyes fixed on how you can take your own life back up? Where are your eyes fixed today? But then secondly, does what you hope for, that which you are, you are looking for and expecting, does what you hope for lead you into further godliness or further wickedness? The very things that you desire the most, are they drawing you closer to Jesus or are they prohibiting you from drawing near? Don't fall for the same deception Satan used on Eve when we are going about our lives and, and we say, did God say? Trust that God has full integrity and goodness to do exactly what he says. He has not left us wanting or needing. And as we think about this text in, in view of today and in view of those questions, just as Jesus is fixing it, Jesus is fixing us. 
Because not only does Jesus provide salvation, but for those who repent of their sin and turn towards him, he is providing sanctification. That process where he is stripping us away of all that sin and doubt and selfishness day by day to make us look more like him. And beloved, this is what we desperately need to surrender to Jesus's process of fixing it and fixing us. You may need Jesus to fix it by calling upon him to be your Lord and Savior today. You may find yourself in a helpless and hopeless situation because of your sin. However, the great I am is standing right here saying, I will. And he has given us Jesus Christ. Jesus can fix a situation through salvation, but he can also heal and redeem a situation through his sanctification as he fixes us. So even today, we can repent of our selfishness, repent of our doubt, repent of our bitterness, repent of all the, uh, the wickedness that we just harbor within. And the Lord is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all iniquity. Beloved, as we consider the hope of heaven, may your song always be, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. Righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Center your hope in Jesus because Emmanuel is God's promise fix for all humanity. Let us pray. Oh Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of those words, I will. Father, today, may we lean upon those promises that you have given us through your word that say you will. You will redeem, you will restore, you will revive, you will renew. And Father, may our confidence, our hope be in the fact that not only has Jesus fixed it, freeing us from the power of Satan, sin, and death, but he is fixing us through sanctification. And Father, we look forward to that day where we see him face to face in his second advent and he and we will be glorified, completely fixed, the curse completely reversed. But Father, until then, may our hope always be built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. So Father, may you be with us this day, may you be with us the rest of this week, but may we be strengthened and encouraged of the hope we have in Christ Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. Well, amen, beloved. Again, so good to be with you. And even now, how will you respond to Jesus today?